Excited to be back in the book of Daniel tonight. And as we come to chapter 9 of this great book, we're going to learn about the kind of prayer that God answers. The kind of prayer that God answers. We can go back to the title slide there. I think they've seen that one enough. Thanks. I mean, if you're going to pray, you might as well pray a prayer that God answers, right? All of us have prayed enough prayers that God didn't answer or didn't answer the way we had hoped he would. Why not pray prayers God answers? By the way, there's some things that uh, you may have been praying for. I want you to just sort of think about your life tonight. What are you asking God to do? What are you asking God for in your own life right now? In fact, you might jot down on the top of your bulletin or on the top of your sermon notes a word or two that just sort of jogs your memory. This is what I'm really begging God for, asking God to do for me. Maybe it's something about your health or your family. Maybe it's something about your job or your finances or your kids or whatever it is. I want you to just uh, think in those terms right now as we talk about the kind of prayer that God answers. And with that in mind, I'd like to pray with you one more time. Would you bow with me? Lord, we're so grateful to be able to come into your presence through the shed blood of Jesus. And we know that prayer is a gift that you've given us just to sort of shut out other things and to be able to open our hearts up to you alone. It's a time to pour out our hearts and our concerns. It's a time when we pray for other people, but also a time where we just enjoy being with you. There's been an enjoyment already in the, uh, the songs that we've sung, the, the praise and worship that we've declared. And so now as we open your word, Lord, we thank you for this book, the Holy Bible. It's completely inspired and inerrant. And we invite you to speak to us again through your holy word. May we be encouraged to enjoy the relationship that we have with you, especially through prayer. We don't want it to feel forced, Lord. We want it to feel natural. We want it to grow in our relationship with you. And so we ask for that tonight as we open your word and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's get right into it. There's five things that we need to include in our prayers if we want God to answer them. We see these from Daniel's prayer here in Daniel 9. But First, I want to begin with the setting of Daniel's prayer. This ninth chapter of Daniel is one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. Spiritually, it contains one of the greatest Old Testament prayers. And prophetically, Daniel 9 contains this broad outline of end times events. The 70 weeks that Daniel talks about at the end of this chapter is literally the key to understanding most prophecies about the end times. That part we're going to get to next week. But what I've observed is often people are so excited about getting to the last part of Daniel 9 that they sort of fail to give much attention to the prayer, the first part of this chapter. And I think that's sad because this prayer is an example of what praying ought to be. It's a great model for us to learn from. So before we look at the prayer, I want you to see how it fits into this chapter. Here's the outline of Daniel 9. First is the setting of Daniel's prayer and then the content of Daniel's prayer, and then the answer to Daniel's prayer. And we're looking tonight at verses 1 through 19, which is just the setting and the actual prayer itself. Next week, we'll see the answer to the prayer. 
Before the prayer itself begins, the prophet explains the historical setting. These first few verses set the scene. They, they tell us why Daniel prayed the way he did here. And they also help us understand the kind of prayer that moves heaven and earth. And Daniel begins by telling us about the timing of the prayer, the timing of the prayer. Most historians place the date of this around 538 B.C., so if you like dates, just jot down 538 B.C. Here's how Daniel designates the timing in verse 1. He says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians. So Daniel came to Babylon as a captive from Jerusalem in 605 B.C. That means if you do the math, he's about, it's been about 67 years since he was carried off into exile. So as we come to this chapter, Daniel's an old guy now. He's in his 80s, probably 85 or more at this time. When we began reading in Daniel 1, he's a 15, 16, 17-year-old prisoner of war. But 67 years have now passed. He'd lived through multiple kings. His faith had remained strong. That's the lesson of the first half of Daniel, standing strong in a decaying culture. No compromise. Faithfulness to God. But he's an old man now, and he knows most likely he's not going to live much longer. He could have, in fact, collected his Social Security check and wrapped himself in a Persian cloak and spent his last days in a rocking chair. But instead, we see him poring over the scrolls, the scriptures that the exiles had brought with them from Judah, from Israel. As Daniel studied the writings of the prophet Jeremiah, he realizes that the captivity in Babylon is about to end. And that's the occasion for the prayer, the occasion for this prayer. And I want to remind you, Daniel, we've already seen, is a man of prayer. This chapter we're reading tonight is a companion to Daniel chapter 6, which is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And we saw back in chapter 6 that Daniel prayed at least three times every day and that he was so committed to prayer that he was willing to face death by lion rather than stop praying. Now, the occasion for Daniel's prayer on this particular day was something Jeremiah had written down. So it appears to me that Daniel was having his personal devotions in the scroll of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. While Daniel was taken into exile to Babylon, Jeremiah remained in the mostly destroyed city of Jerusalem. Later, he was exiled to Egypt. But this is what verse 2 says. In the first year of his reign, that's Darius, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So please notice two phrases. I perceived in the books first and then according to the word of the Lord. As Daniel read from the scroll of Jeremiah, something jumped off the page that motivated him to pray. And by the way, don't think of books like this when you think of him reading books. Think of books like this. Here's a picture 
This is a picture of a man at the Western Wall in Jerusalem reading from a scroll. That's more what Daniel would have been doing. Okay? Now, we weren't there to look over Daniel's shoulder, but I believe we know what Daniel was reading. And I want to read some verses for you, I think, that Daniel was reading in the book of Jeremiah. Here's Jeremiah 25, verse 8. And now the Lord of heaven's armies says, Because you have not listened to me, I will gather together all the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, whom I have appointed as my deputy. I will bring them all against this land and its people and against the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy you and make you an object of horror and contempt and a ruin forever. I will take away your happy singing and laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard. Your millstones will fall silent and the lights in your homes will go out. This entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Daniel had lived through 67 or so of those 70 years. The captivity that Jeremiah the prophet wrote here about. But Daniel also knows that his people haven't yet turned back to God yet. So his heart ached as he watched his people languishing in Babylon. Some were disheartened and had lost hope. Others were sucked into the pagan lifestyle of this godless country. Materialism and idol worship was destroying their Jewish culture. But that wasn't the part of the prophecy that got his attention. His eyes were glued on those words for 70 years. That's not the only place that Jeremiah wrote about that. Let's look also at Jeremiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. And as Daniel read that, it must have grabbed his heart because he realized the time to go home was almost there. Almost time for God to take the Jews back to their homeland. By the way, in case you're wondering, why did God choose 70 years? Well, there's another Old Testament passage that explains this, and I'm sure Daniel was very familiar with it. Listen to this prophecy given by Moses in Leviticus 26. Moses wrote this, I will scatter you among the nations and bring out my sword against you, your land will become desolate and your cities will lie in ruins. Then at last the land will enjoy its neglected Sabbath years as it lies desolate while you are in exile in the land of your enemies. Then the land will firmly rest and enjoy the Sabbaths it missed. Dr. DeHaan said this about this passage. He said, it's a matter of history, a matter of record that the children of Israel Israel had been in, in the promised land for 490 years before they were taken into captivity. 490 years is 70 years times 7, a number that we would do well to remember. We're going to come back to that number at the end of this chapter. So God had commanded Israel, remember this, in the Old Testament, in the law, God commanded Israel that one out of every seven days they were to rest, 
one out of every seven years was to be a Sabbath year for the land. They weren't to sow any of their fields in that year. So remember, this was a very agrarian culture, and God promised to give them enough crops in the sixth year to carry them all the way through until the harvest of the eighth year so they wouldn't have to sow and reap in the seventh year. But the Jews, in their unbelief and greed, refused to observe those Sabbath years. For 490 years, they did not allow the land to rest. They cultivated it continuously in their disobedience. They drained the land of its fertility. And God warned them, if you do that, I'm going to set you aside in exile, send you away, and let the land enjoy its Sabbaths. Again, when Daniel read that prophecy from Jeremiah about his people staying there for 70 years, it affected him so emotionally that he fell on his knees to pray. And this formed the foundation for everything in this prayer. Although things looked hopeless, although it appeared impossible that the exile would end soon, Daniel has this firm promise from the Lord. And on that basis, he began his prayer to God that we're going to read. One more thought before we get into the prayer itself. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British preacher, once said this. He said, prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Now some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give only an occasional jerk on the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the one who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. I want you to remember that picture tonight because we're looking at prayer and in particular the kind of prayer that God answers. And I want you to see Daniel's prayer is sort of like prayer pulling on a rope. And I want to give you five strands that make up this rope of prayer. These are on your notes, so pull them out if you haven't already, please. Strand number one is listen to God first. Listen to God first. We need to listen to God speak before we speak to him. This is called the listening step. You listen to the voice of God first. How do you do that? Well, I'll explain that in a minute, but first I want you to catch this principle. Powerful prayer grows out of the word of God. This is where prayer needs to begin. It's responding to the Word of God. God wants to be the initiator in your life and mine. He wants us to be the responder. God always makes the first move. The Bible says we love God because He first loved us. God sent Jesus to die on the cross long before we even knew we needed a Savior. God always makes the first move. And that's even true in prayer. The reason we talk to God is because he first talked to us in this book. There are literally hundreds of promises that God has given to us in the Bible, promises from God to you. And what we do in prayer is we respond to those promises of God. We respond to the truth he's revealed to us. The prayer that touches the heart of God is rooted in the very word of God. As Martin Luther said, we ought to take God's promises and fling them back in his face. Okay, Lord, you said that you would do this, and God, you made this promise 
Now, Lord, would you please do what you said you would do? When you pray, stand on the promises of God. The Bible indicates that prayer actually doesn't start with talking, it starts with listening. That's what I'm saying. Okay, you listen to God. How do you listen to God? Well, you read his word or you listen to his word. You, you need to let God speak to you so you know what to pray for. That's what Daniel did. In verse 2, which we already read, we saw how Daniel was reading the prophet Jeremiah and his prayer was a response to what he had read. They're about the 70 years. And you and I will never pray effectively until we study the scriptures and get into God's word every day. The better we know his word, the more our prayers will be answered. Remember in John 15, Jesus was teaching his disciples about the importance of abiding in him. Listen to the words of our Savior. Jesus said this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There is a direct connection between studying God's word and having our prayers answered. The more we fill our minds with this book, the more we memorize scripture, the more we will be connected to the Lord and be praying in his will. Now this is so important that I want to help you develop a habit of spending time in God's word every day, even if just for a few minutes daily. And we'll come back to this when we get to the next steps. In chapter 6, again, we saw Daniel devoted himself to praying three times a day. Question, do you think your life would be any different if you developed that kind of habit, spending time in the Bible and spending time praying multiple times every day? It's a discipline we all need to develop in our lives. And I want to encourage you to cultivate this practice because it will revolutionize your life. Input from God's word and talking to God throughout the day. It will make you a strong man. It will make you a strong woman. It will give you confidence and it will make you less fearful. It will reduce your stress. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will be, make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. If you will invest just 20 to 30 minutes of your day, every day doing this, you'll be surprised what a difference it makes in your life. I want to talk to you men for just a minute tonight. Men, this will be a battle in your life. See, weak men don't do this. They aren't committed to spending time every day in God's word and in prayer. Weak men don't do this. Weak women don't do it either. It's a test of our character. Spending time daily in the word of God in prayer. Why is this so difficult? Because Satan knows if he wins this battle, he has won every other battle in your life. This is the linchpin. If you win this battle, you'll win every other battle in your life. If you have scripture input in your life daily, and you spend time praying to the Lord every day, you will win that battle, and all of the other dominoes will fall accordingly. Everything else in your life will be better. And so at the end of the sermon today, I'm going to ask you to sign up on your communication card if you'd like some resources to 
encourage you and help you with your daily Bible reading. I know many of you already got that down, but if you're looking for some new ideas, on your communication card, just write the words daily Bible ideas or something like that, and uh, I'll have the office send you uh, my three favorite options for daily Bible reading or daily Bible listening. Just write on your card daily Bible ideas or something like that. All right, back to Daniel. Strand number one, listen to God first. Strand number two is seek God with intensity. This is the second thing in praying a prayer that God answers. Seek God with intensity. And in Daniel 9.3, this is what we read. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And what Daniel is giving us the vision of here is no casual prayer. This is seeking God with intensity. Husbands, let me just talk to you again for just a minute. I'm going to give you a marriage tip that will pay great dividends in your life. And this is from a guy who's been married for 43 years. All right? I've noticed and I've tried to develop a habit that when Jackie talks to me, I turn my face toward her and give her my full attention. When she starts talking, I literally try to turn toward her and face her. And I especially find that helpful if I'm sitting at my desk looking at my computer monitor to turn and look away from the computer and look directly at her because she's often sitting right next to me at, at her desk. One thing that I've learned when I do that is she loves that. She likes it when I give her my full attention. <laughs> totally focused, undivided attention. And do you know that you can actually do that with the Lord? You can choose to give him your full attention in prayer. That's what Daniel did. I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. The New American Standard says, I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him. That's the second step in praying prayers God answers. We begin by listening. Secondly, we seek him with intensity. And I want to show you some verses that talk about the benefits of seeking the Lord with intensity. I want to start by going back to Jeremiah 29. Okay, that, that was the context, that, or that's the passage, I think, that Daniel was reading where he read about the 70 years, the, that prophecy. And then the very next verse in Jeremiah 29 is this promise. You know this, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. If you've been around church long, you know that verse, right? But often we don't read far enough. We need to keep reading. Verse 12 says this, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In other words, the context of this passage, this great promise in verse 11, is prayer. God says, if you want to know my good plans for your life, don't just sort of casually seek me. It's not enough to just pray to me when it's convenient. No, God says, you need to seek me with all your heart. God says, I have a plan for your life, and it's a good plan. It's a plan for your welfare, but, but you can miss it. 
In fact, I think many people miss God's plan and purpose for their life. Listen, we have to seek him with intensity. How do you do that? We do that in prayer. We need to pray with intensity with all of our heart. Hebrews 11.6 puts it like this. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Who earnestly seek him. Friend, you want God to reward you? You want God to bless you? You want him to reveal his good plans to you? Seek him with all your heart. By the way, that word intensity implies some emotion. Sometimes our prayers are simply things we've sort of memorized or we've heard before. And sometimes I find I get into ruts in my prayers. Okay? I've, I don't have a lot of thought about what I'm saying, and I just sort of pray what I've always prayed without a lot of emotion. One of the ones that I remember is from my childhood and from my extended family, and it goes like this. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let this food to us be blessed. There was part of our family, whenever we were at their house, that was the dinner prayer. That means nothing if you repeat it too many times. <laughs> Strand number two is, the, is sort of the opposite of rote prayer. It's showing emotion in our prayer. It's praying with intensity. God doesn't care how beautiful our prayer sounds. What he's looking for is authentic, heartfelt interaction with him. Notice verse Daniel 9, 3 again. He says, I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. That word pleas indicates emotion, pleading. is an emotion-packed word. It's an intensified form of asking for something. It's, it's more than just sort of a mundane request. I'm asking God with passion. The Hebrew word is bakash, and sometimes it's even translated begging. It's a passionately seeking God with all our hearts. Have you ever poured your heart out to God like that? So this isn't a wimpy kind of praying. This is, God, I, had, I have to have your help with this issue, with this problem. God, I need your help in my marriage. I need your help with this person. God, I'm pouring out my heart to you, and I'm not going to let go until you bless me, until you help me. Sort of like Jacob wrestling with the angel. When was the last time you prayed like that? My guess is, I, I think I know when the last time you prayed like that was. The last time you prayed like that is when you were in pain. Beloved, don't save your emotion just for when you're in deep pain. You can cry out to the Lord in all kinds of situations. So what was Daniel crying out to God about here? Well, he was praying for his people. He was pouring out his heart because of the sins and rebellions of his people, of his nation. And listen, we need to do that for our country as well, don't we? Our nation is messed up. We need to pray for our country today as well. Now, now one of the ways people show intensity in seeking God, at least in biblical times, was the three things that Daniel mentions in this verse. With praying with fasting, with sackcloth, and with ashes. 
And those are ways that people demonstrated the intensity or the seriousness of what they were asking, what they were praying. So sackcloth and ashes was an indication of mourning and, and repentance. I don't know too many people who resort to sackcloth and ashes these days, but, but fasting is another thing. Jesus and his disciples fasted, and the New Testament assumes that we as his followers will seek him by fasting. Fasting simply means we go without food for a period of time in our pursuit of him. It's a spiritual discipline that Christians still do today. And if you'd like to learn more about fasting, write the word fasting on your communication card today, and I'm going to offer you this little booklet uh, by Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He's got a great little booklet. It's an e-booklet called Seven Basic Steps to Successful Fasting and Prayer. So again, just write fasting on your communication card, and, and uh, we'll email that booklet to you this week if you'd like to learn more about that. So again, we're talking about seeking God with some intensity. Don't miss my point here. Learning to pray with intensity and emotion is the second strand of the kind of prayer God answers. Here's strand number three. Express thankful adoration. The next thing that Daniel does is he reminds himself of how good God is, how great the Lord is. And he expresses thankful adoration. Look at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. It's important for us to remember who we're approaching in our prayer. Praise, adoration, pushes our problems into the right perspective. Adoration adjusts our hearts to the right viewpoint about things. In Acts chapter 4, the early church was undergoing persecution, and it looked like the entire program of God was going to be sort of shut down by the Jewish leaders. Peter and John were arrested, they were put in prison, but then they were released and they went back to their friends and they took this to the Lord in prayer. And here's how their prayer began. This is Acts 4.23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they continued to pray. Why did they bother to say all of that? Does God need to be reminded of his greatness? Of course not. But we do. We constantly do. It puts everything into perspective for us. You see, sometimes our problems seem very big. And when our problems seem big, God seems small. It's sort of like this. If, if, if this book represents my problems and they're sort of right in front and center in my vision, I can't see much of anything else. But when I push, push it back farther out of the way and, and I instead lift my eyes and focus on God, it brings everything into proper perspective. One of the things I love about our elders, our elders gather a couple of times a month for prayer, and one of the things I love about those prayer gatherings is the habit we have of reading scripture. Everyone picks a scripture and reads that to focus on who God is before we begin to bring our petitions to him. 
And that's what Daniel 3 is all about. It's Daniel reminding himself of just who God is. Here in verse 4, Daniel praises God for his faithfulness. He always keeps his promises. He's, his covenant of love is the way he puts it. He keeps his promises to us. When we get down to verse 7, Daniel's going to praise God for his righteousness. He always does the right thing. He's fair. He's just. And when we come down to verse 9, we're going to see Daniel praising God for his forgiveness and his mercy. Dwight L. Moody, the great 19th century evangelist, had a little son. And one day, Moody was busy preparing for a speaking tour, and he was in his study, preoccupied with his messages and his books. And his little eight-year-old boy came into his study and sat there. And Moody said, well, what do you want? He said, I don't want anything, Daddy. I just want to be where you are. And I think there's something to that when it comes to prayer. I think that kind of posture goes a long way in our prayers. Lord, I just want to be where you are. You are so great. You are so awesome. And I'm just thankful to hang out with you. So thankful adoration is the third strand. Here's strand number four. Offer humble confession. Humble confession. And this is the longest section of Daniel's prayer. It's Daniel saying, God, we have so blown it. I'm so sorry we've done these things. We've acted so wickedly. Let me pick it up at verse 5, and we're going to read all the way to verse 15. He says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord of God, excuse me, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, 
as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. How's that for laying out the sins of his people? And by the way, does any of this sound vaguely familiar? I just read you a laundry list, and much of that could be descriptive of our nation today. This could be written to America to describe the last 50 years in our own country. So Daniel's confession begins with this corporate admission of guilt. And in this prayer, he uses the word we 16 times. He uses the word our 17 times, and he uses the word us nine more times. So in total, 42 plural pronouns, collective words. In other words, he's not like setting himself apart and saying you. He's saying us. He's not saying you have sinned. He's saying we have sinned. I'm part of the problem. Forgive us. He identified with the people, and he included himself in this confession. And he's confessing this pattern of sin that God's people have been living in. In essence, he's saying, my grandfather sinned, and my parents sinned, and I followed in their sins. Not a one-time sin or a moment of weakness, okay, but rather a deliberate and repeated disobedience against God is what he's describing. And that's why he can be so specific. He names the sins and he uses such strong language. It's been said that the hardest words to say in the English language are, I was wrong. Okay? So, husbands, here's another marriage tip. The sooner you learn to say those words, the better, the stronger your marriage will be. The suggested formula, I've given this to you before, is I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. The most powerful words in the English language are those, and also the most difficult words. And of course, wives, all of us need to use those words. Having confessed the sins of the nation, Daniel goes on to declare that they deserved all that happened to them. Three times he refers to the disaster that befell Israel and sent them into captivity. And he, what he says is, we deserved it. You warned us, we disobeyed, we deserve where we're at. How refreshing that is when compared to the self-justification that comes so easily to most of us. So confession of sin is strand number four. Here's the final strand of the rope that rings the bell of heaven. Here's strand number five. Make specific petition. Specific petition. A petition is simply a prayer that's offered on behalf of someone. And Daniel makes a beautiful petition here at the end of his prayer, beginning in verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Notice that Daniel 
made very specific requests. You know, sometimes we pray very vaguely when we pray. We sometimes say things like, Lord, would you just be with them, please? What does that mean? Just be with them. I I fear that sometimes we don't see answers to our prayers because our prayers are so vague. I mean, if you were to walk into a restaurant and you were to say, uh, I have this unspoken food need, would you please just bless me? What do you think they would say to you? They'd say, hey, man, take a menu and point out something. We can get it for you really quick. Be specific. We need to learn to pray for the specific things we're asking God to do for us. That's what Daniel did here. Very, very specific requests, and God honored that kind of prayer. And then Daniel says, Lord, we don't ask these things because we deserve them. We don't. We ask for these things because of who you are, because of your great mercy and for your name's sake. And then I love the last verse, verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So here's Daniel. He's just read that that God is going to bring Israel back home after 70 years, and he knows that God's going to do it, and so he comes to the Lord and he says, okay, God, please just do it. Okay, And really that's a lot of what prayer is. It's, It's not getting things from God as much as it's getting in on things with God. Lord, you said you're going to do it. I believe you have the power to do it, so please do it now. It's very specific. Take us home. Restore Jerusalem. We want to be back in a place of your blessing. By the way, next week we're going to see how God responds to the prayer of Daniel. And I think it might surprise you how he responded. But for just a minute, I want you to see verse 20. Notice the words, while I was speaking and praying. Now, I want you to understand that Daniel didn't just pray this prayer one time. No, Daniel prayed this prayer over and over and over again. God, we need your help. Please forgive us, God. Take us back home. Restore your holy city. What I'm saying is, if you only pray something one time, you don't really care that much about it, most likely. Beloved, grasp the rope boldly and pull continuously with all your might. So before we're done tonight, I want to take just a couple of minutes to consider some next steps. We've looked at five things. Whatever the Holy Spirit has emphasized to you, I would suggest that's what you make your application tonight. Okay? I've picked three three out of the five to highlight, but if it's one of the other things, make that your application. But here's three that I want to highlight. Number one, effective prayer grows out of the Word of God. I will devote myself to reading or studying God's Word daily. We need to let God speak to us before we speak to Him because powerful prayer grows out of God's Word And so my challenge tonight is to make a commitment to read God's Word daily, at least 10 minutes a day, and to pray at least three times a day. That's the linchpin in our spiritual life and in our growth. You win that battle, you'll be able to have victory in every other area. And again, 
If you want that Bible resource that I was talking about, that reading guide or the listening guide, just write Bible reading on your uh, communication card where it says uh, comments, and we'll get that to you as soon as we can this week. Next step two, life-changing prayer magnifies the character of God. I will center my prayers on God's attributes, God's attributes. We need to remind ourselves just how good God is, how great he is. We need to express thankful adoration to him. Praise pushes our problems into perspective. Adoration helps us adjust our hearts to the right viewpoint. So let this be the lens through which you read scripture each day. Underline or jot down the attributes of God that that you see. Underline, jot down the promises of God you need to trust in and then pray them back to him. Next step three, powerful prayer is intentional and specific. I will take tangible steps to be purposeful, be purposeful in my prayer life. Just a couple of practical suggestions. We have prayer focus groups here at Lake City. There's seven of them listed in your bulletin this weekend. One of them meets tomorrow. It's our Tamajic prayer group that meets at 915. Check that one out. Check any of them out, but join one of the prayer focus groups. Join our email prayer teams would be another way. Uh, We send out a weekly prayer letter. We send out a pastor's prayer team email. Just mark your communication card if you'd like to be added to the list. And then finally, I would suggest you all have a prayer list. Make a simple prayer list, some kind of list, whether it's pen and paper, whether it's on your phone or your iPad or whatever device you have, but write things down, write who you're praying for. Beloved, we need a revival in America. One of the things we need to be praying for is our own country. And as I close tonight, I want to read one verse that you probably know very well, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, which says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. By the way, this is not a promise to America. Sometimes I hear people claim this verse like it's a promise to America. It's not that. It's a promise to God's people. And God's people are all over the nations, all over the world. But we can pray this prayer. We can apply it to our nation, even though it wasn't given specifically to America. And I want to pray it over us as we close tonight. Because God knows how badly we need his healing as well. Would you pray with me? Let's bow. Dear Father, we worship and we adore you tonight. We praise your holy name because you are great and you are awesome. You are the creator of all things. You made us by simply speaking the word. And you are merciful and forgiving and we thank you for your grace. Thank you for desiring a personal relationship with us. Even though we rebelled against you, you offered forgiveness by sending Jesus to die for us. Lord, we pray tonight you'd help us to grow in our understanding of prayer, that you'd move us to pull that rope hard and often. We want to join you in what you're planning to do here on earth. We, We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray for our nation. God, we pray for repentance in our country, for spiritual awakening. God, please forgive our sins as a country and heal our land. 
And God, we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. And all God's people said,